Well, let's read this. We're talking about learning how to renew our minds. Verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, I'm bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present with you, I may not be found, it might be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So we saw last time that we are in a spiritual battle. We're learning about renewing our minds. We've learned that in in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which is our principal scripture, which tells us that we're transformed or we're changed by the renewing of our mind. That's the method that God has designed. And back several months ago, we studied why that's important because we found out that when you were born again, the part of you that would change is your spirit man, that you're three parts to you, spirit, soul, and body. You are spirit man. That's who you really are. That's the real you. That's the eternal you on the inside of you. That spirit person lives in your physical body, which is of this natural material realm. And it, this body came out of the dust of the earth. It's going to go back to the dust of the earth. And it, it, is, it is your earth suit. It's the temporary house that you live in. And we spend so much of our time taking care of it, focusing on it, that we think our body is us. But it's not who you are. It's the house you live in. And then we saw that you have a third part of you called your soul, which is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that soul is a bridge between your spirit and your body. Now, when you come to Christ, your spirit is the part of you that's changed. God changes that supernaturally, and he puts his nature in you. But the Bible goes on to say, although that change has taken place in us, there's there's a job that we still have to do. Your body is the same body that you had before you were born again, that you have after you're born again. And until you're until Christ, until you are you're you get your resurrected body, you're gonna have the same body. But your soul is the other part of you. That's the part that's been left to us to change. And that's why it says we're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the process is so that what takes place on what God put into you, what God deposited in you when, the, when you were born again, he put his kingdom in you, he put his nature in you, and, but that nature is bottled up inside of you because it only can come out of you under control of your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your mind is the part of you that controls that. That's why we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transform really means that what's on the nature, the real nature on the inside is being brought to the outside. So renewing your mind doesn't change who you are. It just takes who you are that's stored up on the inside and brings it to the outside so that you can experience that and others around you can experience in that. And, and we saw that that, and we'll see here again, that the process by which your mind works is by thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. And to work backwards, a stronghold is an image that becomes so real in your mind that it controls who you are. And it's like like uh, an image on your TV screen that you let sit there too long. It becomes embedded in the the screen, and whatever you do, it's not going to go away. That's why we have screensavers on our computer monitors. And then uh, that image, that, that stronghold is made up of an image. Images are pictures that your mind operates by. Your emotional reactions are the pictures that you have. We function by, function by pictures in our mind. But then we've learned that those images are made up of a series of dots, which in your mind are thoughts. So the basic unit that your mind works with, which is important because that's what we're going to work with with renewing the mind. The basic image that your basic vehicle that your mind works with are thoughts. And thoughts, your mind puts them together to form pictures, and those pictures are images. Okay. 
And then, uh, so now what we began to talk about last week is the process of renewing our mind and how that works. And that's laid out here. So we saw in the beginning that it is a spiritual battle, that the strongholds, because what we're about is to take the strongholds that have been built into your mind through your childhood, parents, teachers, school, church, all these things built images in your mind, first of all, of what God is like, secondly, of what you are like. And then what God has done for you or not done for you. And all of those we talked last week are controlling you to somehow, to some degree. And so let's read down here a little further. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So the weapons that we're going to see that God has given us to take these old strongholds down are powerful in God. They're anointed by God. They're given to us by God for the very purpose of pulling down these strongholds. So they're much stronger than the strongholds. So it's not going to take, if it took you 42 years to get where you are, it's not going to take 42 years to to reverse the process. Verse 5, this is the process. Casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And that's what we focused on last time. These strongholds are not just, you know, uh, 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 purposeless pictures that got in there. There's an enemy of your soul who through your childhood, through your upbringing, even now through people working in your life, even through you and your own thoughts. That's why it's important what you watch on television and don't watch. It's important what you listen to, what you read. All of everything you look at, everything you read, everything you listen to is a dot going into your picture, some picture in your mind. It's a thought going in there. And if you've got to know where it's coming from and what its purpose is. And so we saw that the enemy of your soul has purposefully given you thoughts, brought images across your mind that will to create in you strongholds, images of what God is like, so that because they, when the ones that have come from Him are exalting themselves, they're they're putting themselves as a block against your knowing what God truly and really is like. And the image you have of God is what's controlling you now. It's affecting your prayer life. And we end talk last week near the end. If, if we really understood who God is, and we really understand how much God wants to answer your prayers, this place would be filled on Tuesday nights. I mean, unless nobody has any problems. But obviously, all of us either have issues in our life, or we know someone that has issues. So the reason this place is not filled on a prayer meeting is because we really don't believe God's going to answer those prayers. Why? Because of image we have of Him that's been built into our mind and it's exalting ourselves against knowing what He's truly like. And the image we have of Him controls us. You've also got an image of you that's been built into you. So you may have a better image of God, but, but why would God listen to me? I'm just a piece of junk. I don't ever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm disobedient, I'm rebellious, I'm le- all the, the whole list of things you know you're doing wrong. That's part of the image of you. And that's also acknowledge, that's also interfering with your knowledge of God because it's driving, it's, it's sapping you of your confidence to come before him. 
And so that's ultimately the purpose, the spiritual battle that's going on here in all in the issues of your life. And we approach this for, you know, learning how to enjoy the blessings of God and the peace of God. But ultimately what's all what this is all about is our knowing him and having an experience with him and trusting him. How well you trust him is based on the image that you have of him. And so unless you completely trust him with your whole life, that's in most cases why we don't turn it over to him. We don't trust him. That's all because of an image that's been built into him that exalts itself against knowing God. So this is not just about whether you're going to live a prosperous, happy life. This is interfering with your knowing him. Interfering with your knowing him. All right. And that's what we talked about last time. Let's go on with the scripture. So casting down, this is verse 5, casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing, notice every high thing, that exalts itself against knowing God. And this is bringing, oh, this is the fun part. Every thought into captivity. Bringing every thought into captivity. To go back to a story I told you, catching every frog that's loose in the house. <laughs> Bringing every... And when you understand now that every thought that comes to you has a purpose. There's no such thing as casual thoughts. Some of them are more obvious than others. Some are more powerful than others. But they're all designed to do something to support, either support an image that's in there or to build a new image. And this is why God's word says it's important to capture every thought. Remember the example I used of the UPS man comes to your door? It's your house. It's your door. The purpose for the door is to decide who and what gets in your house. And when that doorbell rings and you open the door and there's a FedEx man or a UPS man or some delivery man standing there with a package, and we've talked about this, most of our instinct is they hand us a package, we take the package, after we've taken it, we sign for it, then we walk in to find out what it is. Well, we didn't take that thought captive first. We brought it into the house. And we talked then about, when we went through that exercise, we talked about that not only do we have the ability to choose whether we receive thoughts or not, we have a responsibility to determine what thoughts get in. And here's the scripture that tells you that. Taking every thought captive. That's a little, that's a little overwhelming at first when you see that. This is where we've got to come back to some of those keys that we talked about several weeks ago that are important. Because the first key is you have to decide that the Word of God is the authority in your life. And here's a good example of why you have to make that decision and just an act of your will. Because unless you've made that decision, you read that, and we may say, oh, yes, amen. But somewhere down inside, we water it down by saying, yeah, but it can't possibly mean that. It can't possibly mean every thought. So it must mean most thoughts 
All right, let's suppose that's true. Let's suppose it doesn't mean every thought, it means most thoughts. How do you choose which thoughts you let in and which thoughts you don't? You've still got to capture them to make the choice. Because if you're not capturing your thoughts, you've left the front door open and the back door open. When we were on vacation, we were on a, on a cruise. And, and the first day out, I decided to take a nap, actually. I took two of them. <laughs> it was wonderful. And in the second nap, I think Anita was just a little bit getting bored watching me sleep. <laughs> and so she decided to go out and get some coffee or something. And, and I, we, I, love, I love the ocean. I love the water. And we had a, we had a, 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 a duck, a deck. Not deck. What's it called? Balcony. Thank you. I did the cost of cruisers. And I love the. I was sleeping with the door open because you hear the water going by. Oh, it's just so wonderful. Well, Anita didn't under, realize that there's a, there's a sign there that says, don't open the cabin door with the balcony door open because the Ship is going along about 20 knots, which means there's wind going by the door. Well, as long as wind's going by the door, it's just going by the door. But the moment you open two doors, you create an open path for the wind in the inside of the ship to flow through your cabin and go out through the balcony door. So she opens the door, and this rush of wind comes in. Papers come off the table, go fly. And I, I woke up with that. I said, shut the door, because things were about to go out into the ocean. That's what happens when you leave your front door open and your back door open, because anything in the neighborhood can blow in. Now, we know better than to do that with our house. I mean, just, you know, because especially this time of year, you'll start getting flies in the house. So if you've left your front door open, no screen door, and your back door open for all day, and you've got a bunch of flies in your house, you don't have to ask a lot of deep questions. You don't have any right to get mad at the flies. You open the door that let them in. Now, if we're diligent, shut that door. Keep that door. You know, your kids go out and they leave the door. Shut the door. We don't want the flies in. If we're that cautious about letting some fly in our house, why aren't we much more cautious about the thoughts that begin to our life that have a much greater impact on our life than that fly that only lives for a day or so? Because the thoughts live for a long time. So we come back to that first key we learned to deciding that the word is the authority because here's what happens. If the word is the authority in my life and the word says to take every thought captive and my first reaction is I can't do that, one of us is wrong. Either God's word is wrong and it says I can do something I can't do or I'm wrong and I... I can do something that the Word says I can do that I don't think I can do. Well, guess where my money is? It's easy when you're discerning things with God. He's always right. He's always right. And that's good news because I wouldn't 
I, it would be very uneasy if you're serving a God who's only right sometimes. But the problem with that is if he's always right, then that tells me where the problem always is. If there's a disagreement here somewhere, I know who's wrong, and it's me. But that's how we grow, by facing where we're wrong, not denying where we're wrong. So the threshold question here is, if the Word of God is saying that in order to truly renew my mind, I'm going to have to learn how to take every thought captive. Now, it doesn't say you master that by tomorrow, because you won't. It's, and this is, a, this is a dirty word in church. It's a discipline, although that's really the word disciple, isn't it? It's a discipline. It's training our minds to do something that it's lazy about doing. We live in a generation, and, 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 and most of us are part of this to some degree or another, that's become very lazy mentally. We really don't have to think very hard. We, sh- we do, we just have not learned how to do that. Why? Because so many other people do our thinking for us. A number of years ago, when we first moved back to this area, and our, I think it was our oldest son, was, um, I took him to a, to a baseball game. And it was around the time that the Celtics were um, in a playoff, for, in the championship playoff. And so we went to a baseball game, paid the whatever it cost to go. It was a lot cheaper back then. Pay for the parking, pay for the hot dogs and, you know, popcorn and all this stuff. And we're sitting there watching a live game. That was early in the season. I understand that. But there were a bunch of men around us with little portable TV sets. And I'm thinking, all right, if you really wanted to watch the basketball game, why don't you stay home and watch it on a bigger TV? But I can kind of understand because that was going to end before the baseball game ended. That I could understand. But it was interesting to notice after the basketball game was over and the commentary was over and something else came in, these men were still watching the TV set. Now, here's the picture, no pun intended. They got a TV set sitting in their lap and a live 3D color game being played out in front of them for which they paid money to be there. And which one were they watching? They're watching the tiny little screen like this about something they probably don't have any interest in anymore because the game's well over. And I began to ask myself questions. What's going on here? Why is this going on? So I have trouble just going to something. You know, my mind's figuring things out because it's coming up with messages. But no, I just want to understand. I'm observing things. So most of my teaching comes from just observing things. And it dawns on me because I don't have a TV set in front of me. I get to watch them. But I realize I'm distracted by what they're doing. Then I realize because in order to watch this game, I have to concentrate. I have to make choices about what I'm going to look at, and I have to actually think about what it means. But when you're watching a little screen, you don't have to choose to, what to look at. 
the director of the TV show chooses that for you. Look at this shot. Get this angle. Focus in on their face. They make those decisions of what to look at for you. Not only that, you don't have to figure out what it means because there's two commentators telling you what it means. All you've got to sit there and go, Ah, 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 wasn't that good? And I'm just like the most of the rest of you, man. I'm, you know, I know how to use that remote, you know. And I enjoy watching TV, but I realize that thing will make you brain dead. Because you don't have to think. I purposely make myself read books that are challenging to understand so that my mind has to work to concentrate to understand what I just read. But most of the stuff's out there is like see Jane run. And, and we, we, are, we, we are in a society and it's not an accident I really believe that the spirit of the Antichrist is behind this because he's training us and especially the next generation. And I know we have some of you here. He's training us to learn how to not think. Our vocabulary, our, 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 our ability to use words now, I'm sure it's not so here, but you can go out in the streets and people communicate by grunting. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> and I know that it may be a vocabulary in certain vernacular, and I'm not making fun of it. What I'm saying is this. Listen, there's a point here that fits in with this. Words are communicators. Words contain ideas and concepts. And the simpler the words, and the more general the words, the simpler the thinking, and the more general the thinking. So we're raising a society that does not know how to think critically by the sense of think for themselves. People come to see, I read that such and such happened. I said, where'd you read it? I read it in a newspaper. How do you know it's so? What do you mean how I know it's so? I read it. But see, my training is to find out where's your authority. Sometimes it really frustrates my wife. Well, who told you so? Well, so-and-so. Well, how do they know? (laughs) But I'm not just going to believe something because somebody tells me, why do I know? I just finished on a vacation reading a history book and I'm reading this and they're talking about how this very famous person felt. I'm thinking, how do they know how he felt? He died 150 years ago. (laughs) So much more interesting and entertaining, but if we don't learn to think, what happens is we're being trained to swallow whatever we're told. Because my Bible tells me there's going to be a day when there's an antichrist out there that will tell us things we know don't line up with this word, but, but, we, but we're, 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 they're church people. And we're going to begin to talk a little bit about this on Sunday. They're, they're, they're people in 
Christians that are swallowing things out there that are so against this Bible, but they don't know how to think about it. They're just told by somebody in the pulpit, and so they believe them. Because they don't think for themselves. Because it's easier to just swallow what somebody says. Makes it difficult to pray. Can't concentrate when you're praying. Attention spans, terrible. Unless it's something we enjoy. So if it's a Bruins playoff game, watch it for two and a half hours or however it goes on and concentrate on it. But I find even watching TV, I have trouble paying attention to that. So while I'm doing that, I got something else going on. The devil wants to keep our minds so running, so busy, so we don't know how to get quiet and get still. Oh. My Bible says, be still and know that I am God. We're talking about things that exalt themselves against knowing God. So the things that are going to exalt themselves against knowing God are somehow going to try to keep us distracted from who he is. So we can't pray more than five minutes because my mind's got to go do something else. And we live in a society where everything is so instant that if it doesn't happen in an instant, we get impatient. And I've told you my story about being in line on a ship to get a cup of coffee. (laughs) I was better this time. But just, you know, I remember standing at a McDonald's one time. When we were coming out of church, our kids were still at home. Some of them were still at home. And on our way out of church, we had to go somewhere. I go through, I don't want to go drive through McDonald's. So I go into McDonald's and there's a line in front of me. And I'm going like this. I'm, you know, know, I'm in a hurry. My goodness. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, wait a minute. This is a fast food restaurant. If you go to any other restaurant, you know, it's going to take you 20 minutes, half an hour. And I'm, I'm upset because I can take more than five minutes. Now, granted, you don't get the same quality food, but, but, but still, it's this expectation. I've got to have it now. And I've got to get patience now, too. <laughs> and the problem is God doesn't work that way. I understand, you understand this? God hasn't adjusted to our society and our pace. He still goes at his own pace. So we've got to learn to slow down to his pace because he's not going to speed up to our pace and God can do things quickly. But, but we get going so much. That the, so the issue is this, that what's happening is our minds are running. They're so busy so much of the time, we don't have control over them. And if we don't have control over them, someone else does. So when he talks about taking every thought captive that looks overwhelming to us. But what it is is a process. It's a process of learning how to get it under control, just like I had to learn how to discipline myself so that I could discipline our dog, Mandy. As I taught you in that exercise, it wasn't Mandy that needed the discipline. It was John that needed the discipline. I had to train myself first before I could train her. I had to get myself under control before I could get her under control. 
And so in order to get your mind under control, which we've talked about, that's why we spent time talking about that, this is how that applies now. This is why we spent time going through these foundational things so that when we got to what the Word of God said, you would have a better understanding of what it was and how to do it and confidence that you can do it. Okay. So, It's going to seem impossible to you at first, but the Bible does tell us things to think about. Philippians 4.8 tells us exactly whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are virtue, whatsoever things are a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So the Bible tells us things to think on. So God's expecting us to make a choice of how to think on things. But most of our minds are lazy. And we learned when we talked about getting your mind under control, it doesn't matter how old you are or how long your mind's been out of control, you still can do it. Why? Because God's weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty for doing this. But it does require practice, and it does require a level of commitment. You have to commit to do this. You can't just decide to do it, I'm going to try it, because your mind's lazy. It will, it will cooperate with you for a day or so. It's when it realizes you mean it. Remember, you're not your mind. Your mind is an organ. It's a, it's a tool that God's given to you to help you carry out God's will and God's plan in your life. Therefore, it's a tool God's given to you. It's subject to the authority of your will. We read Psalms where David speaks to his will. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to his soul. He's telling his soul what to do. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. He's talking to his mind to keep remembering things. He's talking to himself, and we'll get into that. That's part of the tools of this, is talking to your mind, telling it what to do. You can tell your mind to shut up. You can tell your mind to be quiet. You can tell your mind to be still. You can tell your mind to be at ease because you are not your mind. Okay, the next part of this process. But it takes time and it takes practice. But it will not happen if you don't start somewhere. So you've got to start somewhere. And it starts by making a quality decision. I am going to take, I'm going to do what this says. And you'll fail for, for a while. You'll take some thoughts captive and miss other thoughts. That's okay. Just don't quit. Just get back up again. Don't look at the failures. Look at the successes. Remember we talked about Look at the success. Hey, I got two thoughts under control today. Write that down. Hallelujah. Celebrate it. Yep. When they have these diet programs, what do they do? They don't have you keep looking at how much more you got to lose. You're going to lose 20 pounds and you've only lost five or you've only lost two. Oh my gosh, I got 18 more to go. No, they say, hey, you lost two pounds this week. Celebrate that. Why? They want you focusing on what you did do, on what you accomplished. Because remember, one of those keys was what you think about gets bigger in your mind. The more you see this working, the more confidence that you get. The more you look at how far you still have to go. It's like, as a boy, I had to cut the grass, and we had a big one in the backyard. And it's like that first time, it was a, not a power mower. It was like this. You go down one row, and I think, oh, my gosh, look at all the rest of it. I'll never get this done. You know, or like raking leaves. I know raking leaves is in hell. I, I know it is. It has to be. 
because while you're raking them, the wind is waiting till you're almost done and it blows them all back again, doesn't it? And I look at it and I say, oh, I got all the rest of these leaves to go. So I started looking at what I had done. All right. So, so that's the first part of this process is taking every thought captive. All right. Second part of this process now is it's not enough to keep out disobedient thoughts. It's not enough to just keep out disobedient thoughts, but you have to put in the right thoughts also. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word, O Lord, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The psalmist said, so that I might, it's not just I've stopped thinking bad thoughts, I've put your word in my heart so that I might not sin. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 2. And see, this is important because it's not just enough to get under control the wrong thoughts. Proverbs chapter 2. Whoops, sorry, passed it here. Verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as you would for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He store up, stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Look at this. He said, if you incline, if you treasure, verse 1, if you treasure your commands, my commandments within you, if you value them, if you incline your ear to hear wisdom. See, that's an active thing. That's not just being sitting around passively. If you cry out for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, and if you seek her as you would for silver that's of value to you, and you search for her as if it were a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And look at this. Then you will find the knowledge of God. That's what we're talking about. Tearing down strongholds that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. If you begin to seek an understanding of who God is. If you begin to seek to put the positive in, then you will, you will gradually come to that understanding of who God is. Again, Philippians 4.8 tells us what to put, set our minds on. Uh, Romans 8, let's go there quickly. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, remember our, 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 it's a war and our weapons are not of the flesh. And we talked last week about what it means to work, is to fight this war with the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded or for to have the mind set on the flesh is death. But to be spiritually minded, to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. Let's turn, let's go to Matthew 12. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we're going through those keys, but I want to look at this story. Again, what we're talking about here is it's not enough just to get control of the negative thoughts. And here's especially why. But you've got to put 
positive thoughts in and the replacement. And, and, and just to stop while you're turning there, uh, when I was growing up, it, one of the teachings that was out in the world, and I'm sure it's still out there, is, is that there was a philosophy of positive thinking, which is, you know, if you just think positive thoughts, if you just, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening, you can be on the stern of the Titanic going down saying this is a beautiful cruise, 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 this is a beautiful cruise. The problem was it's sinking. (laughs) But here's it. Here's the thing. That's taking a biblical principle and using it for man's own purposes. It will work to a measure. Positive thinking will work to the measure. The problem is if if your positive thoughts are not based on the truth, then ultimately they're going to run out of the power because they're not, they're not anointed by God for that purpose. But we're going to learn how to take the truth of God's Word and use that for thoughts. So it may sound to you a little bit like positive thinking, and we'll talk about that when we get into it. But it's very different than positive thinking. I was, when I was, before I was saved, I was looking, trying to find out because I knew, I knew my life just wasn't together. I mean, I just knew there was something missing. I just didn't know where the answer was. And so I, it was a popular book at the time. This was in the mid-70s. Some of you that are old enough may have heard of it. And it's, it's just a, a ver- it was a new variation of something that's been around for years, really some Eastern philosophy. <clears throat> and it's, the book was entitled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Anybody hear that book? I'm Okay, You're Okay. And the thesis of the book is, if I just decide you're okay and you agree that I'm okay, then we'll both know we're both Okay. And I finished this book and I realized, but the problem is I'm not okay. (laughs) So really it's an agreement that we're each going to pretend lie to each other. And that's to some degree what positive thing, it will work to a measure, but it will not do, it will not transform you. It will keep your nose above water. Okay. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. I'm in John chapter 12. That's why it won't be there. Matthew 12. 43. Jesus is talking about authority here. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man. So he said, when a, when, a, when a demonic spirit is cast out of a man, he goes through dry places. King James says waterless places. Seeking rest and finding none. Now, back in the beginning, we talked about the fact that you're a spirit and your spirit lives in your, in your body. That the spirit realm cannot, cannot communicate with the natural material realm unless something supernatural happens. But in normal course of things, as I said then, there are angels in the room right now. Because the Bible says each one of us at least has one angel. So there's at least as many angels as there are all of us in the room right now. But they're not moving chairs around. They can't serve as ushers naturally. Why? Because they have no contact, direct contact with this material realm. And we use that, talked about that in terms of understanding what the role of your soul was. It's the bridge between those two realms. In there, I talked about the fact that spirit... The devil and God are both trying to express themselves in this realm, especially to those that aren't saved, especially to those that don't know him. 
But because those that don't know him have no spiritual contact or discernment, that expression has to come through people like you and me. That's why God needs us to share the gospel, and God can't just do it without us because they can't hear him unless something supernatural. That's why it says in Romans 10, how can they believe unless they hear, and how can they hear unless someone declares it, and how can someone declare it unless they're sent and they go? So the commission, the great commission that God has given us is to be his mouthpiece. Why? Because he can't speak directly to people's ears because God is a spirit. He has to express himself through a human body. Well, in the same way, Satan, who's a spirit, also needs bodies to express himself through. That's why it says in Romans chapter, or Ephesians chapter 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That person at work that says nasty things to you, there's a spirit using that person to communicate to you. And here's an example. It says, when you, remember when, the, when Jesus cast the demon out of the, the thousand, the legion of demons out of the, that man? They pled with him, first of all, about where they were going to go. They were trying to bargain with him. Don't just send us out to nowhere. At least send us into the pigs so then we've got a place to reside until we can get back in some human body again. So this is kind of the context Jesus is talking about here, but it's not our point. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places. That's the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. Just as there are angels in this atmosphere, there are demonic forces in the atmosphere. Hopefully not many in here. Seeking rest... Now, where do they find that rest? They find that rest in a human being. And if he finds none, then he says, oh, I'll go back to the house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty and swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell in there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first so shall it also be with this wicked generation. So the side point here is that Jesus is saying, if you're going to get demons out, then you've got to put something good in, like him. So it's not enough to get the, 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 the evil pictures out. It's not enough to just tear down those strongholds that the devil built. We've got to build something positive in their place, or else the evil will take over again. So that's this point here. All right, now what I want to begin to talk to you about, and we may or may not finish this tonight. So we talked about you were taking every thought captive. We're talking about uh, it's not enough to keep disobedient thoughts out. We have to put the positive, the word of God thought, God's images in. But in order to take every thought captive, we have to learn how to discern where they came from. Because some thoughts we need to let in, some packages we need to sign for, and some package we need to say, "Mm, mm, mm. I don't want that in this house. So we're going to spend, we're going to begin to talk about it tonight and we'll get into it next night. And this applies to learning how to be led by the Spirit. This applies to learning how to discern God's voice. How do you discern where thoughts have come from? First of all, remind us again, every thought has a purpose to either form or replace, form an image or replace an image. God wants to reveal to us what he has done and Satan wants to stop him. And Satan wants to reveal to you 
who he wants to tell you God is and who he wants to tell you you are and who he, what he wants to tell you you can and cannot do. And there's some of us that, God, that the devil has talked into a corner. There's an old, oh, it's not that old. Well, it is old, I guess, by today's standard. The old comedy movie. And I don't remember a whole lot about it other than this one scene. And I think the name of the movie is um, Support Your Local Sheriff. And it's, it's, I think James Garner is the star. In it. And he's this character that's on his way to Australia or something. He passes through this town, and there's a, there's a family that just terrorizes this town. A father and a bunch of brothers come through and shoot it up and get drunk, and then they go back to their ranch and come back whenever they want to. And the town lives in terror of it, so they can't keep a sheriff because this family terrorizes the, fam- the, the sheriff. Well, he comes through, and he's really just a con artist. He's not a sheriff. He's not particularly bold. And he, he's on his way to somewhere, and they, he doesn't want, he's not interested in it until he finds out how much it pays. Well, they didn't tell him the background of what happens in the town. And so uh, once he accepts the job, they take him on a tour of the, of the town, and, the, and they take him to, the, to the, the sheriff's office, and they take him into the jail, and he walks into the jail. Anybody remember this story? He walks into the jail, and, and, and it's a beautiful brick building. The problem is there's no bars in the windows, and there's no, bar, there's no door on the jail cell. And he says, well, what happened? He says, well, we ran out of money. Well, later that day, the, the family comes in and they start shooting it up and somebody gets killed and he arrests the younger brother. And he takes him into this jail and he's got to lock him up in a cell that has no bars on it and no door. So before he goes in there, he takes a bottle of ketchup and he dribbles ketchup on the outside of the door, of the cell door. Takes him in there and he puts him in the cell and he just starts telling him stories about the last guy that was in there. And, 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 the, and the young kid looks down and says, well, what's that? He said, oh, I really hate to tell you the story. And it's about the last guy that was in there that tried to escape. Before he's finished, he, he's not a sheriff, he's a con artist. But he uses his skill to con to get this kid so scared that even when the sheriff goes out to get supper, he won't leave. And that's where a lot of you are. You're in a prison cell that had the, the bars and the doors blown off of when you came to Christ. And there's nothing keeping you from walking out except a con artist that points things out to you to try to scare you so you're afraid to put your foot across the threshold. Now what happens is the father finds out his son's arrested, comes into town to break him out, only to find out that there's no bars there. And he says, "Are you?" he, he, he wants to kill the son himself. He's so mad at him. Now God doesn't want to, he's not angry at you, but imagine when he rides into town and sees you behind a jail, sitting in a jail cell, when he blew the doors off of. All because we listened to thoughts just like this young kid did and didn't discern where they were coming from.
We'll pick up here next week. Father, we come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace and patience with us. Thank you for your word, for Lord, not only does it tell us who you are and who you've made us to be, but it's an instruction manual. You tell us in your word that you want us to be transformed by renewing our mind, and then your word gives us instructions of how to do that. We come to you tonight, Father, to confess to you that so often we've read the word, but we really don't believe it means what it says fully. When we read to take every thought captive, we struggle to believe that that really is what you mean or that really is what we can do. Father, help us to accept your instructions for exactly what they say, that we can do what you say we can do, and we are who you say we are, that your word is the truth. Father, as we continue to hear this instruction and continue to get understanding, We thank you for your spirit who lives in us and we trust him now to take the seeds of what we've heard and to begin to water them as we look at our own lives and he points things out to us and makes us aware. Perhaps this week, Lord, we'll begin to see some of the prison cells that we live in and that it's only a con artist that keeps us in jail. We can walk out any time we choose because our Father has removed the bars and the barriers. Thank you for the Spirit of God who gives us boldness and confidence, not in ourselves, but in you and who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you've but deposited your kingdom in us. You've deposited in us your anointing. You've deposited in us your ability. You've deposited in us your grace. And you've further given us the power of your Spirit. Father, help us as a church to come to a new level of walking with you, not in persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in the power of the cross and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that in Jesus' name.